Tonight's message is, what about the new Jerusalem? The text will be Revelation 21, verse 9, to chapter 22, verse 7. And because of the length of it, we're just going to just take it a verse at a time instead of reading the whole thing. Now, the eternal state is inaugurated, as we saw last time, right after the millennial age. One Satan is judged for his last rebellion. The unbelievers are judged at the white throne judgment. And then the new heaven and new earth is brought forth after the destruction of the millennial earth through fire, as we saw. As we pointed out in our message of the eternal state, once the new heaven and new earth are established, the eternal state, then the new Jerusalem, descends out of heaven from God. Revelation 21, 1 through 8 makes that clear. Now, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, is distinct from the new heaven and the new earth. In 21.1, the new heaven, new earth is described as having no sea. In 21.2, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is described as the bride adorned for her husband. In 21.3-4, the new relationship of God with man are described here in perfect fellowship by the absence of sin and its effects. And in 21, 5 through 6, the stamp of authority for the genuineness of the new eternal order is described as faithful and true. And in 21, 7 and 8, the heirs of the new eternal order are described as the overcomers. So let's look at the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, by a threefold description recorded for us. First, the particular details of the new Jerusalem. In 21, 9 to verse 21. Secondly, the particular glory of the new Jerusalem. In chapter 21, verse 22 to 27. And lastly, the particular perfection of the new Jerusalem. Chapter 22, verse 1 through 7. So we begin with the particular details of the new Jerusalem. Chapter 21, verse 9 to 21. Notice here in 21, 9 through 11, the bride is both the church and the city as Babylon. Her counterpart was a woman and the city. The identity of the city is said to be the bride, the lamb's wife. Verse 9, this is a literal city, not symbolic. The figure of speech is called metonymy, using one phrase to describe or substitute another. The city of the bride, the lamb's wife. One of the seven angels, notice verse 9 there, had the seven bowls filled with seven last plagues, revealed it to John. And the angel said, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Notice the nature of the city is purity. In verse 10 11, John said, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem. The city, notice, descended out of heaven from God in verse 10. Her origin is confirmed, descending out of heaven from God there in verse 2. It is not clear, but some believe the city may be suspended over the new earth. Again, verse 2 and verse 10 point this out. 
In verse 11, the city is seen having the glory of God. When you look at 11, it says the beauty is one of a kind. Her light was like a most precious stone. Precious stones are coveted. People kill for stones like that here on earth. And many of the things that are going to be described here. Her semblance was like a jasper stone. Beautiful. Her appearance was clear as crystal. You remember the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, 9 through 10 says, uh, this is the city Abraham looked for. By faith he dwelt in the land promised as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him for the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Can you imagine Abraham knew about this city way back there? <laughs> Amazing. Look at verse 12 through 14. The number of walls and gates of the city are given to us. In 12, John says, Also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. There are 12 angels at the gates guarding the respective gates. There in verse 12. The gates have names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There are... Three gates, verse 13 says, on the east, three on the uh, gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. No one being at a disadvantage to have access. The wall of the city in verse 14 had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You have this beautiful balance of the Old Testament, 12 tribes, the 12 um, uh, apostles here. The prophets and apostles are the foundations of the church, we are told in Ephesians 2.20. Notice in 15 through 17, the measurement of the city and the wall is given to us. The same angel that initially began showing this is indicated here. And he who talked with me had a gold wreath to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. Its measure came to 12,000 furlongs, approximately 1,500 miles square. Verse 16. Interesting, the city is a cube. Not a sphere. The Holy of Holies was a cube. Perhaps foreshadowing the city here that's being described. The city is larger than the city of Ezekiel during the millennial kingdom in Ezekiel 48. Now, notice then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. Verse 17, a cubit, as you know, is about 18 inches. 
Um, there are shorter, there are longer ones, but usually the average is middle of your finger to your elbow, about 18 inches. That's the measure that is used for all the cubits of the Bible um, by the average um, commentator and all. Um, that would make the walls to be 216 feet. The walls of Babylon at the time of Nebuchadnezzar were 300 feet high. So they're shorter, about 84 feet shorter than the walls of Babylon. Interesting. But there's no thieves they have to worry about. No one's going to try to break in. And, you know, the king is God, so no problem. Babylon's wall also were 80 feet thick and extended 35 feet below the ground. Massive. That's why Belshazzar was having this drunken feast and laughing that the Medo-Persian Empire was trying to overtake him. <laughs> Trusting the strength of his walls. Look at 18 through 21, the constructing material of the walls, the city and the gate are given. The construction of its walls was of jasper, verse 18 says. The construction of the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, 12 to be specific. The first foundation was jasper, verse 19. Second, sapphire. Third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth in verse 20, sardonyx. The sixth, sardis. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. And the eleventh, jacinth. The twelve, amethyst. Beautiful stones. Precious stones. Interesting, the breastplate of the high priest, as you know, had 12 stones of four rows, three in each one, bearing the names of the 12 tribes of Israel over his heart, Exodus 28, 15 through 21. So you see all this stuff from the Old Testament paralleling that, which is the temporal order to the eternal order, the heavenly order. Notice, in 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. Pretty big. Do you like that for a necklace? As you know, pearls were Gentile gems, not Jewish. The parable of the pearl of great price. The one who sold all to purchase the field to obtain the pearl in Matthew 13, 46. It was Christ, the Gentiles, the pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Interesting, what is hidden and valued to be possessed on earth will be considered as common and open for all to see in the New Jerusalem. You won't see anybody trying to cut out a piece of road. In heaven, because it's gold. <laughs> now, you can't do that here. They'd have that thing overnight. Out of here. 
The word street there literally means a broad way. Newell says, because of the literalness of its description, if gold does not mean gold, not pearls, pearls, not precious stones, stones, not exact measurements, real dimensions, then the Bible gives nothing accurate or reliable. You see, you have to be careful. Even with these figurative terms at times, there are literal things that are being described. And you have to be careful that people get clever and they start spiritualizing or giving some allegorical meaning to all these things subjectively. The Bible is literal. Some believe, again, that what is being described from chapter 21, verse 9, to chapter 22, verse 7, is a recapitulation of the millennial kingdom by going back and describing more fully. But if you mark the important differences, they cannot be mistaken. You would have to ignore them to hold this view that the passage is describing the millennium. Two complete different things. Some believe and teach that the new Jerusalem with the eternal state also exists simultaneously with the millennial reign on earth and that it is suspended over the millennial earth while Christ and the church dwell in the new Jerusalem commuting back and forth uh, to reign. But um, really, it is the eternal state. So those are two different viewpoints, but I don't see it that way. I see the chronological revelation of the termination of the millennial kingdom, the thousand years, and then the new heaven and earth of the eternal state, followed by the particular details that are given in chapter 20 through 22. I think that a failure to distinguish the millennium from the eternal state in the same Old Testament passages will contribute to the interpretation of both existing together, such as Isaiah 65, 17 through 18, and 20 through 25 and other passages. So the context is important, whether it's describing the millennial kingdom or the eternal order. The new Jerusalem, the city, is part of the eternal order, Okay. So sometimes people don't make a distinction between the thousand-year reign and the eternal order. And that's where they confuse them. This is the eternal state, which is also mentioned by Isaiah. There are 65, 17 through 18, and 66, 22. Now the word new, kainos, means new in quality, not renovation, as in the thousand-year reign. Spoken by Isaiah in 65, 20 through 25. So the word even distinguished it. Okay? The thousand-year reign, the renovation. The topography is different. The animal uh, nature is reversed. Jesus is ruling. We are glorified. But you've got people who have entered the millennial kingdom who didn't take the mark of the beast, who are allowed to enter in. Nations, uh, after the nation's judgment... Go enter in, but they have sin nature, and they're still sin, and they're still death. Okay? And the eternal order, none of that is present. 
very important. Consider the room capacity of a 1,500 square mile cube. The total of 3.375 billion cubic miles. Considering a single individual occupying a building one mile long, one mile wide, and 10 feet high, there could be 1.78 trillion people occupying the New Jerusalem. <laughs> Interesting. 178 billion people at 100 feet high and one mile square. This is 33 times more than the current world population back in 1991 of 5.3 billion. The present population, I didn't check, but I'm sure it's about 7 million or 7 billion, close to that. Uh, we have grown 1 billion in 13 years in 91, so um, we're probably up there. <laughs> it's hard to say now because we are decreasing in population because of abortion, partial abortion, euthanasia. Uh, young people getting married later in life, and then even when they get married, they don't have kids. Interesting. The problem in the future, ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord tarries, is not overpopulation. There's not enough people to provide the material things for the world. And it's all come through the Trojan horse of public indoctrination. The biggest hoax of the last century was evolution and overpopulation. Both lies. The biggest hoax this century so far is global warming. <laughs> Amazing. Is it going to be believed all century longer, the Lord tarries? The first two lies destroyed us. Every nation is under recovery of population except for the United States. They couldn't recover in the next 25 years if they wanted to do, if they were Bugs Bunny. Okay? Because of the lie and the deception. Wow. These are the particular details of the New Jerusalem. Second comes the um, particular glory of the New Jerusalem. In chapter 21, verse 22 through 27. In 22, there's no temple notice. John says, but I saw no temple in it. The reason is given for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. During the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, as you know, will build a temple for the Jews. And he will stop the sacrifice in the middle of it. Um, Matthew 24, 15, we'll be getting into it this next week. The abomination of desolation. Daniel 9, 27, the covenant he breaks in the middle of the week. Uh, he will enter the temple, declare himself God, demand that everybody worship him, receive the mark on the right hand of the forehead. Revelation 13, 16, 17, uh, 14, 9, and many others tell us very clearly of this. Second Thessalonians 2. During the millennial, there will be a temple, as we saw. It's described by Ezekiel, chapter 40 to 48. So you have the temple that have been here from uh, Solomon. Um, Zerubbabel was, uh, was the uh, beautifying of that. And then uh, uh, Herod just beautified Zerubbabel. So there's really been only the two temples, uh, Solomon and Zerubbabel. 
and uh, the Antichrist will build a third temple, but that's the Antichrist temple. And then there'll be the millennial temple. And then we have here, God is the temple. The source of its glory, nors and light is given. The Lamb is its light. Isaiah spoke of the eternal state in the city of God. Listen to him in Isaiah 60, 19 and 20. He says, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the brightness shall be... Um, um, shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will do will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the day of your mourning shall be ended. The Old Testament Shekinah glory is eternal present. Notice having the glory. Of God, verse 11. Jesus was and is the true light, First John 9 says, or John 1, 9. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world, in John 8, 12. John tells us God is light and in him is no darkness at all, in First John 1, 5. Here you have the epitome of light. This is the eternal state. All sin is gone, everything. There's no one rebelling, no rebellion, no opposition. Look at verse 24 through 27. And 24 nations and kings will exist in the eternal state, making visits to the new Jerusalem. And the nations of those, verse 24, who are saved, shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The nations and kings are those of the millennium that did not follow Satan's last rebellion at the end. In the millennium, though Jesus reigns with a rod of iron, as I said earlier, those living on the earth repopulate having sin nature and free will, and they exercise it, particularly at the end of the last rebellion. Those in the eternal state in the new Jerusalem are in their glorified bodies, no sin, no sin nature will exist. So there's a big distinction. Since the new Jerusalem appears to be suspended over the new earth, and these nations and kings come and bring their glory into the heavenly city, the inference is clear. They do not reside in the city, but on the new earth, and come to the new Jerusalem. Remember in the millennial kingdom. Everybody had to come to Jerusalem once a year. Or they received no rain. Okay. Now look at 25. All nations, kings and people will have equal. And complete access in the eternal state. And new Jerusalem. Its gates shall not be shut at all. By day. The explanation is, there shall be no night there. There is no sun <clears throat> or moon, verse 23 told us. <clears throat> they um, were created. To divide the day from the night and let them um, be for signs and seasons for days and for years back in Genesis 1.14. 
Notice the purpose of their existence and coming to God as stated in verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. This has already been stated in verse 24. It's stated twice. Both words are the same in both verses, 24 and 25, 26 here. And all that man will uh, glory in and honor will be God alone. It'll be like the angels in heaven to an extent. Now, now notice the only one entering the city of the new Jerusalem are the glorified saints. Look at 27. But there shall be by no means entered anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The church which reigned with Christ during the millennium is included. The tribulation saint martyred for their faith and those who survived are included. The nation of Israel, the reconciled wife of Yahweh, fulfilled all the promises of the old and the new covenant is included. And also those saved in the millennium who didn't follow Satan's last rebellion are included. The author to the Hebrews declares, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Hebrews thirteen fourteen. Interesting thing here. The sun is like a vast hydrogen bomb burning slowly. Every second, four million tons of hydrogen are destroyed in explosions which start somewhere near the core where the temperature is 12 million degrees centigrade. More energy than man has used since the dawn of civilization is radiated by this normal star in a second. The Earth's entire oil, coal, and wood reserves would fuel the sun's energy output to the earth alone for only a few days. Tongues of hydrogen flames lap from the sun's surface with the force of a thousand million hydrogen bombs. They are forced up by the enormous thermonuclear explosion at the core of the sun where 564 million tons of hydrogen fuse to form helium. Material at the core of the sun is so hot that a pinhead, if it would give off enough heat to kill a man one million miles away. Wow. And the one who created the sun is greater than all this energy. <laughs> Amazing. Can you imagine the glory of God who made the sun as the glory of God existed in the garden prior to the fall? So it will exist in the eternal state to its glorious radiance of Shekinah glory. Amazing. You know, temples are either to house a deity or to give sense the sense of the presence of a deity. God met the high priest in the Holy of Holies, as you know, 
and spoke to him from the mercy seat as his Shekinah glory appeared between the two cherubim on the mercy seat. Exodus 25:22, Leviticus 16:2. Solomon, if you remember the dedication of the temple, said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? 1 Kings 8:27. The sun and the moon are presently necessary. Without them, we could not exist. You know, I just laugh every time I see these guys looking for E.T. Or for some potential life source out there. Billions upon trillions of dollars spent. I think they've put so many new dish things out in Colorado. Just surveying the space area if they can communicate or be communicated with. While we have a great national debt, people are starving and everything else. And they call us wives. Amazing. God created the sun and the moon to distinguish the day from the night for signs and seasons and for the measure of time. Time came out of eternity. Chronological time. And chronological time goes back now into eternity in the eternal state. Full circle. God said, let there be light in the firmaments of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons for the days and years and let them be for lights and the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Spoken. Done. Genesis 1, 14 and 15. The sun is necessary for life and it gives off energy, the process of plants, other organisms, to synthesize from the carbon dioxide and the water using light as an energy source and through photosynthesis releases oxygen as a byproduct. And we kind of exchange you know, um, carbon monoxide and oxygen, the plants, and we back and forth. You know, we help them, it helps us, and God just put it all together. Perfect, perfect unity, perfect flow. The moon is a reflector, as you know, of the sun, and it's necessary for the tides of the sea. If we didn't have the moon, we'd be dead one day. Amazing. Both are spaced out perfectly from the earth so that the earth neither will burn up or freeze. By evolution, of course. Amazing. How stupid can you be? That should be the question over every professor who teaches the evolutionary hypothesis. All that money you spent and you magnify your stupidity. Amazing. Amazing. The promise of a perfect world without sin death 
evil or rebellion is only an ideal until the eternal state. 42% of millennials desire and want to live under socialism or Marxism. New poll. Once you live there, you're not going to like it. Socialism and Marxism looks good, sounds good, as long as you're using my money, other people's money. Once it's all gone, ooh. It's like cotton candy. It looks so big, so good, you put it in your mouth and whack, it's gone in an instant. And all you've got is cavities. Wow. Amazing. Today we see a permissiveness regarding sin and sinful lifestyles. Fathers um, used to protect their daughters, care for their daughters. They would feel ashamed if their daughter slept around or shacked up like we used to call in the 60s with somebody. Today, fathers say, oh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he just moved in and, you know, they're, they're getting along just great. Wow. No honor. No value. My daughter's just a common thing. Oof. Have we become unnatural or what, ladies and gentlemen? Amazing to me. And what's difficult is that as Christian parents, we can't force our children. Some of our children may go that way. So we continue to trust God and pray for them. And we know that God is able to save them. Whether they call upon God to save them is a different matter. So we remain stable. We pray. We model that life. We don't abandon our children. We don't go hide from our children. But we do not celebrate our children. And their awkward, sinful lifestyle. They're my children. I love them. But I never give an approval to what they're doing. I don't browbeat them. But I warn them. Because I love them. Wow. Wow. Today we see people being murdered senselessly for mere pleasure or boredom. There was a couple of shootings just today again. Amazing. Today everyone is encouraged to rebel against the rules and authorities. It's even gotten to the point that it comes from our political leaders that encourage violence. And since no one gets thrown in jail, they're not going to stop. Not until somebody receives consequences will people think twice. It's just that simple. You remove 
consequences, you destroy all authority. Remember that, parents, as you're raising your children. None of these things will be present in New Jerusalem. (laughs) The particular glory of the New Jerusalem will be literally divine. Notice third and last year you have the particular perfection of the New Jerusalem. In chapter 22, verse 1 through 7. There will be a river of life, verse 1. John says, and he showed me a pure river of life, clear as crystal. The river is pure, free from every admixture or uncleanness. The river has water of life, Zoe, very popular name today. It means one who possesses vitality alive. This is its basic understanding. Since this is the eternal state and looks back to the original creation prior to the fall, it is describing that absolute fullness of life belonging to God imparted to the believer. John says, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, Remember, Ezekiel's river in the millennial came from the temple. Ezekiel 47.1. Zechariah's river in the millennium comes from Jerusalem to heal the Dead Sea and the flood of the Mediterranean in Zechariah 14, verse 4 through 8. Notice also in verse 2, there will be the tree of life. Here it is again. It was at the beginning. Here it is at the end. John says, in the middle of the streets and on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life is in the middle of the street here, a broad way, and both sides of the river. The vision of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12, climaxes with the description of the river that flows out of the sanctuary, flowing to the Mediterranean Sea, healing the Dead Sea, as I said earlier, And trees along the banks bearing fruit for every month for food and the leaves for medicine. So there's a difference between the two. John tells us two things about the tree of life. Notice in verse 2. The tree of life bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. This fruit without any doubt, is related and connected to the eternal state of the believer's life. The body of the believer is a glorified one, far different from the one we have. Right here, this one, it it looks good, it feels good, it works good um, to a certain point. Once you get over the hump and you start going down, It's a whole different matter. As long as your body works, it's good. When it doesn't work, oops. It's like a brand new car. You you can beat it up at 10,000 miles, but don't don't go burn rubber at 80,000. You'll throw the tranny or you'll knock off some teeth off the spider gears or something will happen. He says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Interesting statement. 
Since it is the eternal state, there can be no disease or death as in the millennium. Ezekiel 47, 12 says, Along the bank of the rivers and on this side and that will grow the, all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and for the leaves of, for medicine. The only thing it can be for here in the eternal state is for the perpetuation of the eternal state and benefit for the nations, kings, and people who are all subject to God without any thought or attempt of rebellion as overcomers. In fact, that's the promise to the church there in Revelation 2, 7, that they would partake. Look at verse 3 and 4. There will be only blessings. <laughs> this is the um, affirmation of the positive in verse 2, but from the negative. And there shall be no more curse. The curse brought in sin, death, and sorrow, and pain, as you know. The authority of God will be reigning supremely, verse 3 tells us. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And a servant shall serve him, those coming out of the thousand-year reign. The fellowship that was intended from the beginning will finally exist, verse 4. Listen, they shall see his face. Moses could not see God's face in Exodus thirty-three twenty. To 23. Jesus said, The pure in heart shall see God. The Beatitude, Matthew 5 8. The book of Hebrews says that without holiness, no man shall see God. Hebrews 12 14. And his name shall be on their forehead, he says there in verse 4. This is the mark of ownership. 144,000 Jews had God's mark on their forehead, Revelation 7, 1 through 8 and 14, 1. The following of the Antichrist will bear his mark also, Revelation 13, 16. Two families, God's and Satan's. Look at verse 5. There will be perpetual day. This is the summary statement. There shall be no night there they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the lord god gives them light this reinforces the eternal state and they shall reign forever and ever verse 5 there the witness of faith all died in faith not having received the promise but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embracing them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would not have opportunity, or they would have had opportunity to return. But now... They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city 
for them. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Notice here, lastly, in verse 6 through 7, there will be an accountability for all these words. The record is God's divine revelation and prophetic uh, revelation looking to the future fulfillment. Um, Verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. All that read the record can count on all this happening, reliable, genuine, inerrant, infallible. The record was communicated through a chain of command. He gives it to us in the beginning of Revelation, but we get it here. And the Lord, God of holy prophets, sent his angel with the revelation to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Then God to the angel and the angel to John. Through John to every person who reads, servants is in the plural here. The chain of command is God, Jesus, angel, and John. Revelation 1.1. These things shall surely or suddenly take place. The book opens with this same statement in Revelation 1.1. The record is to warn and to prepare the hearer to believe and obey. Look at verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly, means suddenly. This is stated three times in this last chapter. Verse 7, verse 12, verse 20. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. This is the sixth beatitude in the book of Revelation. The book opens with the same promise to him who reads, hears, and keeps the words because the time is near. Revelation 1, 3. There is only one way for us to respond to all the things described about the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, and the eternal state here. It is given to us in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Listen. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. (laughs) Amazing. You remember how hot you thought you were before Christ? You remember when you were a teenager or young 20s, you thought you were just the coolest thing on this planet. And you knew everything. Everybody is so stupid. And then you come to the Lord and you realize how insignificant and little you know as you study the word of God. 
You can be a, an incredible, brilliant scientist. But if you don't know God, you've put all your eggs in the wrong basket. Absolutely the wrong basket. The Genesis River went out from Eden into four heads. One of them skirted the whole land of Hibala, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and the onyx stone are there. Genesis 2, 10 through 12 tells us. How interesting that the Genesis account before the fall mentions the gold and precious stones like the eternal state in the New Jerusalem coming full circle. Some interesting observations about the tree of life. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, as you know, in the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2.9. The choice of living eternally with God without sin was available from the beginning. From the beginning. Stop and think how people live life. They're born... For the sake of lacking human words, innocent as a baby, but you got sin nature. And if you follow the rules your parents and obey, and you do as you're supposed to, the way you're directed and guided morally, ethically, like that, you, you can live a pretty good life. You can escape a lot of problems, a lot of different things, a lot of hassles, right? But most majority of people mess their life up, and then they come to Christ, and and they could have had that from the beginning, right? Wow. God said, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2.17. God guarded the tree of life by the cherubim, as you know, flaming sword in Genesis 3.24. The tree of life will be in the middle of the street and on either side of the river in the new Jerusalem. Verse 2 of chapter 22. Not just one, it's all over. Paul understood the blessing of the eternal state as he described it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 24 through 28. Listen carefully. Then comes the end. Okay, listen. When he delivers, meaning Jesus, the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's after the millennial kingdom, the white throne judgment, death is cast in. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who has put all things under him is accepted now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, meaning the Father, who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. In other words, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit will be there, but under a different relationship than we don't exactly know what Paul is meaning. Right now, we know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have their own position and, and, and relationship to salvation and their office. But then everything will be subject in a way that it will be completely different than it is right now. 
and everything will be put under the Father's feet. Amazing. Paul, Paul talks about that right here in Corinthians. The eternal state. The benefit of the book of Revelation is by believing it and obeying it, ladies and gentlemen. Peter said that the day of the Lord would come as a thief in the night and includes the time period extended to the new heaven and new Jerusalem, the new earth after the millennial kingdom. Second Peter 3, 10 through 13. Listen to him. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's after the white throne judgment. Okay? Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons are we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven, new earth, in which righteousness dwells. So after the millennial kingdom, the last rebellion, the white throne judgment, hell, death, antichrist, prophet, boom, everybody's in the lake of fire, Gehenna. The whole world, heavens are melted. Then comes the new heaven, the new earth. The new Jerusalem coming down from God. Wow. The particular perfection of the new Jerusalem are no exaggeration. Everything you read, you can count on. What a difference from people in the emergent church today who do not believe you can learn any objective truth from the Bible. That's why they dialogue. No authority. No faith. Just trying to get along. Wow. This is the new, the heavenly city. The new Jerusalem that will exist in the eternal state that's described by the particular details of the new Jerusalem, the particular glory of the new Jerusalem, and the particular perfection of the new Jerusalem. Accurate. Reliable. Read it. So when you get up there, you'll know your way around. (laughs) Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word that we can go to it, Lord, and that, Father, we can be assured that you have left nothing out and you have not made any mistake. As you're praying, if you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has brought you to be saved, to repent of your sin. If you are looking forward to the city, you better repent. If you see yourself as a sinner, then God has laid that in your heart and allowed you to see that, to call on his name. You must be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God. Maybe you're out there somewhere in the world on the radio. Germany, France, Switzerland, Mexico, wherever. San Diego. You need to be born again. You need to repent of your sins. If this is your desire, by God's grace, as you've been listening to his word, this is your prayer of repentance. He's going to forgive you, make a new creature of you, and give to you eternal life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. 
I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.